0: Welcome back everyone, to yet another exciting episode of Along the Keel. My name is Captain Zach, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. I speak with Nathan Garrison of Shark Bands. Shark Bands is a company based out of California that was started by Nathan and his father to give people the peace of mind when out enjoying their favorite ocean activity. So whether you're out surfing your favorite break or spearfishing the murky waters of New England, the wrist and ankle bracelet are proven to ward out any potential shark encounters. They use a patented magnetic technology that has been proven and researched and is so successful that it's been used by Navy SEALs, pro surfers, and even the former commander in chief. So if you're someone that enjoys wading past the shore, then this episode is a must. Nathan was a great guy to talk to and I especially liked speaking with him when I found out that he's a fan of the iconic Newport Folk Festival that happens every summer here in Rhode Island. Now with everything that's going on with COVID, unfortunately the festival was not coming to Rhode Island this year but it will be next year, and stay tuned because Nathan and I might be doing another episode in the near future. So you gotta wait for another summer, that's what I'm trying to say. But before we get started, I wanna know if anyone was paying attention to our Instagram post that I post every time when I put out a new episode. So if you were, I asked the question if anyone knew the name of the iconic chef who created a shark repellent for the CIA during World War II. If you don't know the answer to that, then I suggest that you stick around towards the end to not only learn about what we have going on here at Along the Keel, that's new, but also to fill you in on who it may be. So I want to be transparent, though, uh, before I get started here and, and say that I learned about it on Micro's podcast called The Way I Heard It. It's been one of my favorite podcasts to listen to because it outlines these really interesting stories that he puts together, and you don't know who it is until the end of the show. There's a lot of gotcha moments, there's a lot of you know, goosebumps that happen. So I suggest you go check it out. They're really short. Uh, They're about five to seven minutes long once you get past all the advertisements, but it's a great show and definitely worth the listen and work. He's been binge listening to the show. And Dan, if you're listening to this, I just want to thank you for all of your kind words and your support and everyone else that's out there that has been listening to the show since the beginning. So. With that guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to stick around towards the end because we do have some special announcements this time about all the new content that's coming in the near future as well as how you can get more involved in the show to get more amazing stories about the people, the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the brands that you know and the ones that you don't. So, enjoy this episode and we'll catch you at the end. All right, well Nathan, hey man, it's real real pleasure to have you on the show and uh not only to talk about you and your you know beginnings but also the beginnings of shark bands and where it's going today. So uh welcome to Along the Keel and uh pleasure to have you here.
1: Thanks Zach, stoked to be on the show and I appreciate the time and and your willingness to share our story.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's it's a cool story nonetheless and one that You know, I think especially with what's going on right now, you know, we have Discovery Channel Shark Week. So everyone's very intrigued by, you know, Great Whites, Makos, all different types of sharks. And you guys, you guys kind of do twofold, right? You being someone that just loves and has grown up on the water his entire life has, you know, taken the side of, all right, let's focus on the conservation aspects of sharks. But then how can we make a product that kind of, you know, changes the perception of what sharks are to people? Right. Because I think growing up, you know, we have a lot of movies like Jaws that kind of steer someone's perception and perspective towards a negative connotation toward sharks when really, you know, sharks are just like any other fish in the sea, any other species, but they have some more teeth. Right. So it's a pleasure to have you here and to learn all about shark bands. But uh, Nathan, let's uh, let's start out like who are you as a person and, and how did you even get involved in Into the Ocean?
1: Yeah, well, just to comment on your first statement there, which was an astute observation. You know, you, most people think of sharks, and there's a fear associated with that, uh, with that image of the shark in their mind. And for us, part of the the main mission in Shark Bands, which is this product that is a a shark deterrent device that anybody can use that spends time in the ocean, is to empower people through educating them about sharks shark behavior and enable them to use this device to go out into the ocean enjoy it in a way that is really all about peace of mind and empowerment to to do whatever it is you love whether it's surfing swimming open open water swimming or just you know hanging out and splashing around with your friends um you, know, you could be a free diver, you could be a scuba diver, whatever it is. And through that education, you learn to to understand the animal and then you start to understand the ocean more. And then instead of associating it with fear, you're associating it with understanding. And then once you can understand, then you can start to develop a respect. And then after that, then you develop love. And then once you develop like that deeper connection with it, then you'll want to protect it. And for us, And for me personally, that's been kind of the cycle that I've experienced with the ocean. And that's what I would like to share with others as well.
0: Yeah. And how do you think, you know, where did it all kind of start from? Because, you know, to gain that respect, it it tends to be like anything, right? You have to have experienced it a lot in in, in multiple different situations, whether it be good or bad, you know, developing that respect, you know, especially for the ocean, right? Because there's been moments where I've been out of the water and it's just a crappy day, right, out in the tropical storm. And it, you need to have those days to really appreciate the good days, but at the same time, right, it builds that respect for the ocean and how powerful it can be. But on the flip side, you know, you go out on, the, on a nice, flat, glassy, calm day, and you're like, wow, this is beautiful, right? And and, and in turn, you you grow respect in that aspect as well. So how have, how have you kind of, you know, gotten a gauge for the – For the ocean growing up like where did that all start and stem from
1: yeah that was a good thought that you just had there about the good days and the bad days you know the ocean is a wild place and it's ever-changing and we've uh you and i have certainly both seen our share of good days and bad days out there um i'd definitely be it's all the bad days are always more interesting stories
0: (laughs) oh and they're way more fun let's be honest i mean (laughs) You got a a cool story to go with it, you know?
1: Yeah, as long as you come out well on the other side, it's always the the more entertaining (laughs) story that everybody wants
0: to hear, for sure. Of course.
1: Which is the same stuff with sharks, you know? Oh, you saw a shark? You know, tell me about that. Um, How close did it get? Yeah, how close did it get? Did it bite? Uh, Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Well the good days and the bad days you know you again the, the, when you get new people out in the ocean you you hope that they get a string of good days before any of the bad days come it's like peop- right, people people when they try build to build your confidence <laughs> i'm going yeah so for me you know as an example of how i've experienced the ocean and learned learned more about it and developed skills around it um i've been getting more into spearfishing in the last couple of years and okay. um speaking of good days you know the if you go out and go f- freediving diving for and spear fishing, and you get a really good visibility day, and it's glassy, you know, it's a dreamy experience. And you don't almost you almost don't even care about trying to shoot something because you're just so stoked on exploring the scene around you and all the beauty underwater. Um, right. The Channel Islands out here in in California, off uh, of Santa Barbara, is where I I spend my time doing that. Uh, That's for, an awesome for, spot. Yeah, it's an amazing spot. It's a really healthy ecosystem out there, and. Uh, beautiful reefs and lots of structure to to dive off of and a whole variety of of different species and you know you can dive for lobster during season and um, you know reliably be able to get a nice reef fish for some ceviche or or fish tacos on on a day out there you know (laughs) so you get get a good day out there and you got a few of those in a row and it'll it'll get your stoke level going really quickly for for learning that new activity out in the ocean but then Right. You get a, you get a bad day out there and it's rough and the visibility is less than ten feet and you know I'm over it, <laughs> so <Right. laughs> so there's just you got to earn those good days. Yeah, there's a plethora of experiences that that come from from being out there and you know for me growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, where um, there was opportunities to do certain activities around the water but not others like you know spearfishing for instance unless you're going way offshore, um, you know there's Um, there was surfing and there was some, some boating for me. And Mm
0: -hmm. what was your first boat?
1: Uh, my dad had a, uh, 21 foot Sea pro when I was like 15, um, with a one hundred and fifty on it. And we would drive that around the intercoastal waterways and, um, learn basic navigational skills and, um, you know, how to, how to drive a boat. And even before that, I was, you know, always in the water surfing or just, you know, splashing around with, with friends forever as a, as a kiddo, you know.
0: Right, of course.
1: And, um, yeah, one of my I, – I never really had any fear or thought of sharks. Um, they were just something that you kind of know was there. And there was a few river mouths and inlets. I remember, like, I think Breach Inlet – Aside from the currents there, that's the island, that's the inlet that separates Sullivan's Island and Isle of Palms. For those that know Charleston, um, mm-hmm. there was definitely reputations of sharks being in there, and sometimes we'd be nearby there, like you know, wakeboarding or or tubing or something, and you you really didn't want to fall off in that zone. <laughs> um,
0: hold on, hold on, we're gonna we're gonna pin it through here. Yeah, and we'll get to the other exactly. side. exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh um, yep, I know that feeling. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. And, then um, a close friend of, of mine and um, th- that I've known for many, since I was I don't know, eight, nine years old, he um, he got attacked by a bull shark off of the Folly Beach Pier. Um, really? Yeah, it came up from below, grabbed onto his ankle, and ripped him off of his board and actually pulled him underwater, um, which is obviously a pretty scary, very gnarly yeah. experience. Um, no kidding. He got... Let him go, and then he got back on, made it into the beach, jumped in the truck. Well, didn't jump. I got basically carried to the well, truck yeah. by his <laughs> carried to the truck by his buddies, and then you know straight to the hospital. And he was Jesus. yeah, he was super lucky that um, it didn't sever any uh, like. Really important ligaments or or tendons. Yeah, your Achilles tendon. Yeah, yeah of course. it was apparently pretty close, but he kind of dodged a bullet on it. But it was like a, a obviously a, <laughs> a bit of a shake up, and right, of course, like most surfers that get bit by sharks, you know, they keep surfing, um, but there's a you know something that a psychological hurdle to overcome after that, and right. hearing about that as a friend and somebody who obviously had spent a lot of time in the water around there. It was. Uh, it shook me up a little bit too, and it made me look at it differently, you know. Because we always used to screw around. We'd be in the ocean at night, and you know, and any time of day, and never really thought about it. But then you're right. You know, the
0: invincibility factor. Exactly,
1: and then one thing happens, and then you know, it kind of shatters the mirror. So, right. Um, we. Yeah, you know, that's just like the first little catalyst that that took place that kind of planted some of that fear in my mind, but I didn't. So did that
0: kind of, do you think that really planted the seed for what would become a shark band? So then what, what really happened between, you know, that moment in time to where you are now, did you go to college at some point in time? Like eventually you made it out to California, right? So there had to have been some sort of transition there, right?
1: Yeah. Like that was the, if that was the seed, there was another experience that watered it where okay. I moved out to California after college at in Miami. And then, um, what did you go to school for? Uh, I was actually a journalism and English major, so not oh, that's right not a marine you saying that. not a marine scientist. <laughs> it just shows you you'll never know you never know what you're going to end up doing with your life.
0: Yeah, but, right. <laughs> um,
1: and I yeah I worked in video production and multimedia and content production for for brands and stuff for for a number mm-hmm. of years before before starting this. But to go back to the watering of the seed, so to speak, was moving to California uh within a few months of arriving in Santa Barbara, I was twenty four, twenty-three, twenty-three, twenty-four, and um a guy who was a student at UCSB was surfing up uh in North County and got killed by a great white. Um mm. and he you know he lived on my street and that was like oh okay this is
0: Right, this is, this is something serious.
1: Serious, yeah and that because i was so enthusiastic about surfing at that point you know i just finally made it out to california to the promised land so to speak yeah it was surfing every single day and you know at santa barbara it generally feels pretty safe like you're not really worried about sharks until you get around the north of point conception but um all of a sudden have somebody get killed like that was was powerful experience and I began wondering if there was some way to create a device that would be simple and affordable and not look ridiculous or impact your performance or ability to enjoy whatever you were doing in the water or impact your performance as a surfer and if I could come up with something like that that would it, it would reduce the risk and at least make me like a bit less likely than the person next to me to get right, bitten. And then right. like, why wouldn't I wear it? And yeah. from a business standpoint, I thought, well, if we can connect all those dots and execute on that plan, then I'm, my hunch is that other people will want to wear that as well and want to buy that. And right. Yeah. My dad and I spent a lot of time and conversations talking through all the different ideas and concepts around that. And
0: And what were some of the first ideas and concepts that kind of came to mind? Because, you know, coming from a journalism background, I mean, you're really good at research, finding things out, kind of hunting and digging. But in the same token, like, where do you even start, right? I mean, how do you make a, you know, essentially a shark repellent, right?
1: Yeah. So from a business standpoint and developing the skills to understand how to to execute on creating a product, um, I was working for for Teva, uh, actually okay. actually pronounced Teva, you know the sandal company. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I wear them. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, we all know them, and I was working there at the time, um, back when this idea started to to circulate around our heads, and. That was a, an awesome experience for me because I worked as the project manager in the creative department, which required oh, very cool. Yeah, and that required me to liaise with everyone from the developers to the product designers to sales and marketing because we were creating the creative assets, whether it was photos, videos, graphic design, whatever, that they were going to use to sell this shoe ultimately. And so, Mm. it was important for us to understand everything about it from each product's inception. And so, while I didn't know how to uh, totally pull off all of the different areas of taking a product from concept all the way to getting it on a shelf, I knew what the steps were and I knew people who could help elucidate some of those ideas for me so that I could then bring this to life right and then my dad had the experience of you know being in business in the business world for 30 years and even though he was in software um he had he had an entrepreneurial background and had started a company or two that had had um ended up being somewhat successful so um that there was that side that he brought to it and it ended up being a being a great team, uh me having the the product understanding and then him having a bit more of a a business acumen and some of that, you know, gray haired wisdom that you get from from working. Yeah, dad dad wisdom, right? Dad wisdom, yes, exactly. (laughs) Of course. So uh you you put those two things together and then okay, well where's the where's the science bit come in, right? So Mm -hmm. you've got um the research side, so we start researching what's out there. My dad and I, we find this magnetic technology that these two or three scientists had discovered in 2005, which is actually an interesting story because it was on accident that they figured out that sharks were repelled. By powerful permanent magnets, so they had these. Really? Yeah, they had these big magnets, and they were using them for a different experiment. And they accidentally dropped one in a tank that they had with some sharks, and the shark came over to investigate it, and boom, it took off. And hmm. they and it really caught their eye, and they were like, "Whoa, what was that?" Uh, and they shifted the focus of their research into developing and understanding the shark's sensory capabilities with regards to electromagnetic fields, um, which is an organ that they have called the ampullae of Lorenzini. It was discovered by an Italian scientist, hence the like elaborate poetic (laughs) sounding name. Um, Sounds so fancy. Yeah. It sounds very fancy, but they're really just these little, um, gel filled pores in the shark's snout. They look kind of like big blackheads or something. Okay. Um, so if you've if, if you've looked at a shark's snout before, you can you can see them pretty easily, um, and these magnets r- cause a reaction in those pores that is a, an overwhelming sensation. They create a field that that overwhelms it. and the The best way that the scientists can understand it is it it might be like having a really bright light shined in our eyes in a dark room, mm-hmm. sort of like. It, it it's unpleasant, but it's not harmful. So it, it's sort of a warning sign, right? Like it's not, it, like a, like imagine a cop shining a really bright his really bright flashlight right, first
0: get pulled over yeah
1: in your face and you're just like God damn man like take right. that out of my eyes <laughs> uh, yeah 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 you know I, or you it makes you just want to turn away you know you, you can even you can see it in the movies and and like ads for like don't drive drunk when the cop walks up you know right um, and for the shark it they say it's probably akin to something like that and okay. and for us you know with with the device you're not trying to to harm a shark in this case like all you really want to do is tell the shark that you might be harmful because you've got this weird thing that it's never experienced before that's overwhelming its senses in a way that it's probably never experienced before and that as such you might be dangerous so hey like wild animals are looking for the path of least resistance to get food. So all of a sudden you've put some kind of weird resistance in front of them and they will turn away and go somewhere else to to look for it because their ultimate mm. interest is the same as ours. It's self-preservation.
0: So now did you got, did you reach out to these guys and were like, Hey, we want to, you know, investigate into your technology and then how did that dialogue start? Because, I mean, or or were you just grabbing some magnets and throwing them in inside of a inside of a band for the, you know, the first go around?
1: Yeah. So we started we engaged them. My dad started that conversation with them, having the gray haired wisdom and some, you know, years of experience and backing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we managed to to convince them to license the patents for that technology to us. Uh, which was like, you know, the big win moment, like them putting, yeah. putting the faith in us that we were going to be able to take this and make it into a successful full product to, to reduce the risk for, for people of, of being uh, attacked by a shark. So we, uh, we did that successfully and then we, we got to work. Um, and I, I hired one of the product designers from Teva from the time that I had worked there to come and, and work with us and uh the three of us started charging on it on a you know on a daily basis full time until it really it was a pretty remarkable um life cycle for for how quickly we were able to get something onto the market um right we ha- yeah we ha- we went down and tested some we tested the prototypes for um for the first devices in the Bahamas, which is where the Shark Defense, the scientific partners of ours, have their research permits, so mm-hmm. we, we went down there, and that was when it first became real. You know, you've got you've got the scientists there, you've got my dad right. and I. you we're heading out on the boat. we we've got the prototypes, and we're going to find out today if <laughs> if it actually this works. thing <laughs> we've invested so much time into is yeah is right. actually gonna work and. It's, you know, people look at it and I can understand why they see that it's this band and it's pretty small. You know, you wear it on your wrist, or your ankle, and it looks like a wrist, you know, like a, a pretty medium to large size wristwatch. And you're yeah. like, really? Like, that's going to repel a shark? And it it's certainly something that you're thinking about what, right. what being,
0: being a skeptic of course yeah
1: and it was something that i was thinking about and then my dad was certainly <laughs> thinking about when we're going out there like wow like this is really going to work i mean if it works it's freaking rad and if it doesn't then yeah. that i wouldn't Back be su- that right? i like wouldn't be surprised you know right. um, but we went out there and i mean i could go into the various stories that took place but it was It was a comedy of bad luck at the beginning on that first trip because we got jinxed by the scientist saying, every single time I've ever been here, there's been sharks and I've been here hundreds of times and we go out the first day, no No sharks. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Which brings up a point about creating a shark deterrent device and testing one, people Most often don't think about the difficulties involved in this, but it is very difficult to test shark deterrent devices. And that's because you need wild animals to show up that do not always show up. And you need them to stick around long enough to actually interact with your device enough time to get quality data on it. And mm. if your device's intention is to deter them, <laughs> then they're not really going to be inclined to stick around.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So y- what you have to do is figure out just the right amount of, of enticing food and chum to keep them there without... Uh, Without getting them too excited and they start totally freaking out and going into a feeding frenzy and then you don't even have a realistic scenario anymore because no one's jumping into the water when there's a shark feeding frenzy, right?
0: Right, right. So there's like this delicate balance between how much do you deter them but how much do you actually wrangle them in to try and deter them?
1: Yeah, because then you give them too much food and then they get full and then they leave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or you don't give them enough or you you end up getting like all of a sudden you could get 15 sharks around which has happened before. Um, You get 15 bull sharks in one place and that ended up actually being the best research trip that we went on. That was in um, November 2017 Mm -hmm. Um, and there was just so many sharks and they stayed around all day for three days in a row but I've been down there close to 10 times and they. That's the first time that something like that has actually happened. You know, you get times where maybe two sharks show up and they stick around for an hour, and you're getting, you and you get some amazing footage and you get some repellent reactions, and then they take off. Um right. But then to have the, that many sharks stick around for that long, that was when we were actually able to conduct um, some really solid research on to gather like you know, over a thousand data points. I think we got like 12, we recorded like 1200 interactions between wow. bull sharks and the product over a three day period. Holy crap. Which was, yeah, it was, it was, That's incredible. it was awesome to be able to do that. And just to, you know, be, be around the sharks for that many days in a row, It's just exciting. So, um, we were able to really push the product and the technology to see how far it could go because we didn't have to worry about the sharks taking off, which is always in the, at the front of your mind when you're out there doing these tests.
0: Right now, how realistic do you try and make the testing? Like, are, is there ever a moment where you actually get in the water, or is it? Because I've seen some of the videos. It looks like you have like a mock surfer where you put you fill like a, a wetsuit with a bunch of chum and you put the shark band on it. You know, to test it if it would deter them, but then you take it off to to show people that this is actually filled with chum, like this is you know the realest we can make it.
1: Yeah, we've done so many different scenarios at this point. The first ever trip, I was in the water with the sharks filming while the scientist had the device on his ankle and was deterring the sharks that way. To mm-hmm. having it off of a baited little buoy off of the back of a boat to then the most common thing that we do is have a dummy on a like a big stand-up paddle board, and then you've got GoPro cameras underneath the board, and then you can film the sharks coming from both sides and really accurately show the leg hanging off and how the animal comes and what its reaction is as it encounters the field of that device. And so mm-hmm. with that scenario, well, actually to that scenario, and then also even the, more, the most extreme being putting a, the dummy in a life jacket and then just floating him out like he's a stranded person at sea.
0: Right, like a shipwreck sailor or something.
1: Exactly. And then in all of those scenarios, we've got bait and just varying amounts of bait attached to the dummy. And we'll do some where the bait's not visible, but it's in, say it's inside the sock uh, okay. or the pant leg or... Then we you know, we've done that all the way up to having like an entire bonita or a wahoo like on the outside of the leg mm-hmm. with just a single band on it. So you're literally presenting the shark with the most tempting thing possible to come up and bite right. it. Um, and w- based in the animal's behavior will change based on how many of them there are, how competitive they will get because of that which gets them more riled up, um, and when there's less of them, when there's say one or two sharks, they're much more wary and investigative, which is much more realistic to what you're going to encounter in the wild. Um, you know, no one's, no one's going to be getting into the water when there's a bunch of bait being thrown into the water, strapping bait to themselves and jumping in. But the,
0: well, at least you hope not, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, Steve-O did it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but there I was watching something about that recently which was really like an interview with him on that like years later where he kind of was going behind the scenes and really talking about it and <laughs> it sounds like he got out of the water pretty quickly
0: <laughs> yeah i wouldn't well i'm freaking you're not finding me in there no way i've had sharks swim under me when i was doing the manta ray excursions with people uh-huh. what type and of he, sharks
1: what would, would you see when you were out on that
0: so out in hawaii there's a ton of Uh, oceanic white tips yeah but then there's also you know there's also reef sharks that are out there all the time and all of a sudden this white tip kind of just and it's you know it's i don't know 10 o'clock at night so it's dark and all we're under these surfboards are these lights to attract plankton so that the manta rays can come up Mm -hmm. and, and swim up the board get the get the plankton and then swim away and then they come back so they do this like dance all night long right well one night we're floating out there and i have a full board and uh, I, I kind of transitioned from either being a captain one night, and then it, you know, mostly I was a captain, but there other other days where I'd fill and I'd be a crew member because it was always fun just to hop in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hop in the water, and probably about half an hour into it, right, this, this white tip swims underneath the board. He's probably, I don't know, three or four feet above this uh, – the seafloor, so it was pretty far down there because we're in about 60 feet of water okay yeah that was my question
1: is like how what's the environment like how deep are you guys that's cool that you're in that shallow water i was picturing this being like you know 300 plus feet deep so that's that's good to know
0: yeah, like it's like right on the edge of the shelf because the man is with the upwelling from the plankton. Mm, yeah, they come the, up that
1: reef ledge, they, huh? Exactly, okay, cool.
0: exactly, yeah. There's creates this, a lot of upwelling, a lot of plankton will congregate there in a place called Garden Hill Cove, which is if you've ever flown into the Big Island, it's like literally if you look out the airport, there's these fish farms and then it's right there. So
1: Okay, I haven't been to the Big Island, but I'm making a picture in my head.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, If even if you look it up, there's like these fish farms that are pretty noticeable, and then it's like right right next to it. So not only that, the fish farms attract a lot of white tips and, um, you know, dolphins, uh, monk seals, so a lot of other wildlife out there as well. So, you know, I get back on the boat with everyone, and they're like, ah, that was great. And they're like, yeah, but one guy pokes me, he's like, hey, did you see that shark? And I'm like, Nah, I didn't see anything. And I gave him like a wink, like, yeah, don't tell anyone (laughs) Uh because we're we're not going to have anyone coming back if you tell anyone that, right? Mm. He's like, well, what kind of shark was that? I'm like, oh, that was a reef shark. They're harmless, you know? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it's an oceanic white tip, which, you know, are pretty, can be pretty aggressive. Yeah, they can be
1: pretty aggressive, especially in groups.
0: Right, exactly. So, you know, we always called it the S word on the boat. We didn't want to tell anyone there was a shark anywhere. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, people would ask, like, are there sharks out there? And I'd dip my finger in the ocean. I'd be like. Yeah, it's pretty salty. There's probably sharks in there, you know, because there's salt in the ocean. There's sharks. There has to be. So Yeah,
1: and many people literally cannot help that fear, and that's one of the interesting things about the fear of sharks when you actually get into the science and the psychology behind it Mm -hmm. is that it's deep-rooted in our brains on a primal level to be terrified of anything that can eat us in a way that, like, produces an emotional reaction. So people see the teeth, they see the animal and they associate it with that and it's just this primal response that they don't even necessarily recognize as like an emotional, like deep emotional thing that comes out. And it's hard to control that and you have to actually actively work to reverse that (laughs) and then start to understand the animals. So there is like a sympathy for people at the beginning before they, they maybe spend some time around sharks in the water which is pretty transformative. Most people who, the first time they ever go on a shark dive, they'll always do it again because they get their mind blown and they experience right. how amazing these animals are and they realize, Hey, like these guys aren't really out there to try to, to bite us. They're just swimming around. They're doing their, their shark thing. And it's really cool to watch and wow, like what an amazingly sleek, beautiful animal
0: right and i think that goes back to what you said earlier was like you know the ocean you you started to build this respect and that respect then became a love for it and it's it's very similar for sharks right so how does how do you think the shark ban really um changes perspective for people because not only are you obviously saving lives like on a surface level that's pretty easy to see because obviously people aren't getting bitten by sharks but there's also these you know not only conservation, but you're changing, you're literally changing people's perspective. There's a behavioral change that you're creating with your product. Like what have you seen from that?
1: Yeah, it's a good, good question. And it, it varies based on the level of competency that already exists in the ocean. Um, the ones that are, there's different, very, there's different ones that are super gratifying for different reasons. So you've got, a Navy seal for instance who had an experience spearfishing in Florida where a big bull shark came at him he was wearing shark bands it got within the range of the, effect, the effective range of the device which is like three to six feet and then it took off and didn't see him again and he called it a life saving product and for somebody who's a Navy seal who's literally the most experienced water person like on the planet to Literally, from a training standpoint, to come and say, Hey, like this is a life saving product that enabled him to enjoy his time in the water more after that and seeing the way that it worked for him. That obviously is like about as gratifying as it gets. Um, That man's name is Ivan Trent, and he's actually the son of Buzzy Trent, who is a pretty legendary big wave surfer in Hawaii. um, Oh, very cool. In the the early days of, of pioneering big wave surfing at um, like Makaha and, and Waimea and, and places like that. Um, That's awesome. And then, uh, you've, so you've got that end of the spectrum, and then you've got uh, another side, the other side of it, which is um, this organization called One with the Ocean that we work with. And they're a weekly swim group that operates out of L- L.A. as their base, but they're also in San Diego. They actually have a, a small one in Maine. They ha- I think they have Hawaii, huh. I think they have eight or nine of them now, and I'm, Brian the founder is going to kick my ass for not remembering where they all are, <laughs> but um, we started working with them this year um, to sponsor it because he saw the, con- the the congruency between what we were doing and what he was doing, which is their whole mission is getting more people out in the ocean just to go on swims. not actually on a competitive level but just for fitness, enjoyment of the water, and all the health benefits that it brings just to be out in the ocean. Um, so they get people out there in the different different cities where they have it and everyone comes together in this community thing. They give education about the ocean for people who are new to it. They teach tactics like how to approach waves, how to swim under waves, um, shark safety, um, and then they go for swims out to a a buoy and and back to land and it's just like a whole social gathering thing and there's not mm. there's not this like oh triathlon like like open like like long distance open water swimming the whole element to it it's just like a it's like an enjoyable social thing and you got a lot That's really of cool. yeah so you got a lot of of newcomers out there at one with the ocean and um, using shark bands Brian's able to get people to overcome that fear of sharks and, and dismiss it and I- ignore it because they can use this to feel safer. And then they can have one less thing to worry about and focus on just enjoying being in the ocean and, and learning the skills like swimming and and going under waves and everything else to to really start to enjoy being out there. And, uh, and shark bands, you know, just to be able to to get more people out into the ocean like that, because they say, Oh, I'm open to doing this now because I was too scared of sharks to even go in before then, then that's the other side of it. And that's, that's a, a great piece of what we do as well.
0: No, that's awesome. And being able to be a part of that and literally change someone's perception of what, what a shark is, you know, and, and what, being a part of the ocean is and being able to work with that organization sounds incredible, but you also have this side of, you know, the 3%, right? Like you're giving back 3% of, you know, what you guys are making in terms of, you know, all the profits go going to conservation and in other groups like, you know, one with the ocean to help. Um, you know, here on your website, I'm looking at it, you said, you know, protecting and restoring ocean habitats, the eradication of shark finning, and then preventing new offshore drilling. Those are the three main points, it seems like. Yeah, right those, are that, the, or... those
1: are the three main ones. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that's also super rewarding. Obviously, the better we do, the more money we can, we can donate. So, you know, the right. hope is that as, as it continues to grow, that it's, we're able to make, a, you know, we personally won't make a measurable impact, but we're donating to organizations that do. Um, mm. And we recognize and understand that. And we're not out here to try to reinvent the wheel or, or step into that conservation wing. You know, we know that people, that we, there are people who dedicate their whole lives to this. And so our, our mission is to simply donate a portion of proceeds to help fund those missions rather than, than try to do it ourselves. Um, right. Yeah. One of my favorites is uh, this guy, David McGuire, who founded a company called Shark Stewards. Uh, or okay. I should say a nonprofit called shark stewards they're based out of San Francisco. And he's a, um, he's a professor at UC Berkeley and really smart, fascinating guy. Who's just a badass adventurer type. <laughs> Love um, it. he's, that guy's got store. They're working on a whole bunch of cool projects in protecting sharks in um, in Malaysian Borneo right now, and setting up sanctuaries huh. over there, which is one of the last, most pristine reefs on the planet. Um, but the work that they've they've already done and and achieved uh, most notably probably is the the ban on shark fin sale and trade in the state of california um david was really instrumental in making that happen and it just shows you the power of one person if you're persistent and you're smart and you understand how to play the game that you can really make an impact on your own and this this man was able to affect the situation politically enough to sway these, the, whole, the whole state of, of California's political uh, spectrum to vote in favor of banning this, act, this economic activity that was you know, generating a pretty significant amount of money. And you know, we know that money talks, and especially in society right. today. And yeah. that he was able to convince them that these sharks are worth much more to the earth alive than dead, and that this is an incredibly detrimental practice to the health of the oceans, and it's also helping to fund organized crime, um, which is because the shark fin trade is run largely by different Asian mafia groups, yeah. and he, David was, was badass and, and brave enough to take those mafia groups on and literally have- That's awesome. Yeah, literally have threats made on his life on like a frequent basis, be followed by them, um, all, you know, around San Francisco and, you know, he persisted and he was successful and, you know, because of those efforts, you know, one of the major hubs that shark fins could come into to be traded around other places in the States was, was stopped um, and super proud of that guy for doing that. So that's one of the main organizations that we donate to.
0: That's awesome. You know, there's actually a really cool book that um, speaks to that. Um, maybe not Sharkfin in particular, although he does touch on it, is called The Outlaw Ocean by Ian Yes, Burb yes. Dina. So you you, you've read that? Yeah, oh yeah. Love that Man, book.
1: Man, that guy is a badass. I actually have right? not read the book, but I listened to a podcast with him um, describing a bunch of the stories from his travels in in mm-hmm. writing that book and the research that he did. Wow.
0: what It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Why don't you share one of the stories that you, you remember from that book about his well, efforts. And it just, it shows you, that book shows you how hard the conservation battle is and the truly dangerous positions that people have to put themselves in just to stick up for these animals.
0: Right. And it's just incredible the amount of... The U.S. is so you know a lot of people complain about the US and how there's a lot of regulation and maybe that we lack to, that we lack regulation in other places but comparatively in terms of fisheries and conservation and how we treat our environment here in the United States compared to let's say that of the asian countries mm-hmm. right that are overseas mm-hmm. especially ones that are on the pacific mm-hmm. it it is incredible how much conservation how it gets thrown away to the wayside in terms of you know in order to make money and profit and so on and so forth and one story that sticks out in particular is the fishing vessel and and he talks about it but it's been talked about in other capacities as well in term and also with greenpeace they did a whole piece about it um but the fishing vessel thunder i don't know if you've heard of that one before
1: no please yeah please educate us about that
0: Yeah, so the Thunder is this rogue fishing vessel that's basically been going around the Pacific, uh, you know, going for uh, shark finning, just all sorts of, you know, species that here in the US are, you're not allowed to fish or they're overfishing them, they're taking the bycatch, so on and so forth. A lot of bad stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe it was the folks over at, um, who are the folks from Whale Wars? The Sea Shepherd, Oh uh, right?
1: yeah, the Sea Shepherd people. Yeah, okay. So yeah, this sea is Shepherd involved. People. So he's on the boat in with Sea Shepherd going after this
0: boat. Yeah, I th- I think so. I can't remember. I read the book a while ago, um, but he talks about the thunder and not only that, not only what it's doing in terms to our ocean, but also the effects it has on the crew members and the people that are actually involved in it and how. It, the, the whole system is really gravitated towards, you know, taking these underprivileged people that don't really have any other choice, they're taken from these villages from the middle of nowhere Asia, and they're pretty much forced into fishing on these illegal boats in conditions that are just appalling. Like, There's no racks to sleep in. The food is just minimal. Most of the guys either die of dehydration or, you know, lack of sustenance. And not only that, but they're out at sea thousands of miles away from home and never having left their village previously. So a lot of these guys die, and it's just such an interesting story as to how, you know, it plays to both sides, the people side, but also the conservation and the ocean side of things. And and it's like that meeting in the middle where his story really, you know, plays a really cool role in, in opening this up to people that would never even have thought about it. And fortunately, I, I have a degree in marine affairs, so I learned a lot about this. But when I share it with other people, they're like, really? This is going on? I'm like, yeah, this happens every single day. There's, you know, fishing communities that are torn apart because of it. There's, you know, boats like the Thunder, which eventually was caught, and the the captain of it scuttled it, and then Sea Shepherd came by, and they took all the crew members off, and they were all, um, you know, indicted, and wherever they were, I don't, I don't remember where they were taken, but... They all went to jail, which is kind of sad because they really didn't have anything else anyway to go home to. I remember right? hearing
1: about that. Yeah, like there was this whole ethical debate about what to do with the people who were essentially enslaved on the boat that were committing the crimes, but they were sort of forced into doing it. And
0: Right. Yeah, they're just forced into it. So it's like this weird, you know, you know, this battle of humanity, you know, what what do you do? Right in terms of do you let the people fish? Do you let them destroy our fisheries? Well, no. But at the same time, they have nothing else, right? So that that story probably stuck out the most, and that might be a, a, a mix of a bunch of stories mixed into one. But that's kind of the gist of it. Um, but I remember there was you... this
1: like really visceral part of the podcast and a story that he told where he was on one of those illegal fishing vessels and how mm. the part that it was. It was such a harrowing story of how he even was able to get onto the boat uh, without getting detected about what he was doing and then to not have anything bad happen to him while he was on the vessel. Um, And then the first night, it's him and his photographer. I just remember he says he notices all of the, the fishermen on the boat are all sleeping elevated in some kind of hammock even if the thing's elevated like six Mm -hmm. inches off the ground and he's like well they were so exhausted that they just like threw their mats down and passed out and then he describes this moment that he awakes and there he feels like this sensation like this weight Uh. on top (laughs) of him and there's just dozens of rats on Uh, on him and the other guy and it's just like oh my Uh, god like your skin just crawls thinking about that and to know that those vessels are out there like hundreds of them thousands of them Mm -hmm. wherever they are on the high seas really like on an outlaw ocean as he says just you know committing crimes in international waters where there's no way that there's just not enough there's not enough policing of of the ocean and that now the ocean really is this vast landscape that's that is unpoliced in so much of the area Mm -hmm. and that's like it's kind of like the wild west of the 21st century and
0: right it's unfortunately here in the u.s it is it's, it's a massive issue and you know here in the u.s we have the ability to police right and you know, we have very strict regulations for recreational and commercial fishing. But in a lot of these other countries that don't have the, the funding to do so, um, they're really reliant on, you know, what little resources they have. And then they get stepped on by a lot of bigger nations that come in and they fish their EEZ, their, econo- mm-hmm. their Exclusive Economic Zone. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up getting their economy destroyed, you know. I mean, that is exactly why we have Somali pirates, mm-hmm. you know. That's the. That's pretty much the only reason why. I'm sure there's a lot. There's there might be smaller reasons, but the big one is that they lost their their fisheries due to other countries coming in overfishing them, and then they were left with nothing. So then, what did they resort to? Well, they're like, hey, well, we got boats. You know, there's a lot of ships that come by to go to the, into the Suez Canal. Maybe we can take one of them. You know, and that that's how it started. So, it's really interesting how you know something like a shark and a fish has such a drastic impact on our, on our world's economy and and on our world's just society in general, you know,
1: it's this constant raging of the age old debate of long-term sustainability over short-term gain. And, you know, we've, we have countless examples to look back at history where you can clearly see demonstrated that the long-term sustainability is always better than the short-term gain, but mm-hmm. we continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again and um, there you know there are solutions out there and you say you know it, it's easy to say, okay well what do these people do um, you know and there's there are definitely solutions and you look at places like Indonesia right where they have shark fishermen that go out and that's they're going out and fishing sharks because the fins are worth a lot of money and they can sell those and then they can support them themselves uh to make a living but they don't want to go out and kill the sharks you know they're just doing because they don't have anything else to do and um you probably do you know the um the conservationist madison stewart she's got like a really big instagram following and uh i can't
0: say i do i might have seen her but i just don't know
1: she's um, name. it's um uh Shark Girl Madison is her um, Instagram okay. handle, but she's on this um, this new project that she's been on for I think it's the last couple of years, and she's gone into all these small villages around Indonesia and proposed to the fishermen to rather than fish sharks to take tourists out um, mm-hmm. to to experience seeing the sharks and to see the reefs. And to just explore that that land, and then turn the sharks into an an economic force that is sustainable and and does not get used up, and yeah. um, and they make way more money doing that than they do way fishing more. the sharks. And then they're stoked, and they don't have to kill any animals. And then it, it sustains right. it sustains the village. And so, it's a new way of of approaching it, and that you know it it certainly shows a lot of promise to to try to bring that kind of mentality into different areas and there are certain areas that are obviously too dangerous and you talk about Somalia for instance like it's very difficult to to implement something like that there but in a place like Southeast Asia where there is a lot of tourism and relatively high level of safety you can you know you can start to institute practices like that and and it really does make a huge impact
0: yeah absolutely to kind of give you a number to give people a gauge as to You know what a I'm going to use a manta ray because that's what I know. Mm -hmm. Um, A manta ray alive to the tourist economy in Hawaii would bring in about a million dollars a year per manta ray. So a manta ray dead, because in uh, Asia they use them as an aphrodisiac. Mm -hmm. They're I think it's like their gill plate or something. They grind it up and whatnot. It's worth about 150 bucks. Yeah. Um, So you (laughs) You just I mean how more how much more obvious
1: do you want it to be, right?
0: Right, exactly. And, but that goes for anything, like a coral reef, right? You can either f- overfish and kill the coral, coral reef, or we can bring people to the coral reef and you know they can enjoy it, and uh, obviously you're going to make more money that way. Now, with that being said, there's a balance, right? Because we do need fishing communities. And we do need, you know, tourism-based communities. And sometimes they overlap. Like there's these folks up in Maine called Rocky Bottom uh, Tours. And it's a really cool concept. I've been meaning to reach out to them. But they basically take people out on a commercial fishing boat that's a working commercial fishing boat. And they show them what it's like to be a commercial fisherman you know, and they educate them on it. So it kind of plays to both sides of it, which is kind of an interesting take on it.
1: Yeah, it means you have to take less fish because you're getting people to pay to be on the boat to see how it's done, right?
0: Right, exactly. Exactly. So how do you think Shark Bands kind of fits into what we've been discussing? Because I know we've gotten a little off target, but at the end of the day, it all kind of wraps up into one because essentially you are a piece of the puzzle here.
1: Yeah. Well, our goal is to become a bigger piece of the puzzle. So we've looked at the technology and what are the broader implications and what's the potential of it. And what we've discovered about a year and a half ago is that we could use this technology to prevent shark bite off from hooked fish in fisheries from a number of different target species so a hmm. huge growing problem that people may or may not be aware of is that shark bite off which is where a fisherman catches a fish and then a shark comes in it's an easy meal for the shark boom the shark yeah. bites the fish off um, We call that tax collector yes exactly wow. the tax man
0: <laughs> tax man comes by <laughs> yes the tax
1: man paying the tax man indeed there are certain areas where the tax man gets pretty much all of the fish and you don't get to keep much of anything um which on the surface level, obviously sucks for the fishermen, and you're right. not making any money, or if you're taking out clients, they're not getting any fish. Um, and it's a really demoralizing experience when you've finally caught a fish, and then boom, it gets eaten before you can get it into the boat. Um, but on the other side of that is the conservation side of it, which um, is it's horrible for fisheries because even in regulated fisheries like ours where you've got uh, catch daily bag limits, daily, you know, daily limits for all these different types of species, mm-hmm. um, those limits do not include total mortality. So you could, you could have 50 fish lost to sharks before you got 10 fish in the boat. And th- right. those aren't even numbers that are unrealistic. I mean, this happens. On, this can happen on a daily basis in, say, the Outer Banks during tuna season, um, We get reports from guys that say some days they can't even get a single fish in the boat, and they might have lost 50, and so they just don't go out. Um, right. And obviously, it's de- it's devastating for fisheries if you know if the limit's 10 and you had to catch 50 to get 10, then you know, you've, you've actually had a, a much bigger loss on it than what the fishery would have recorded. So um, right. you can start depleting them very quickly. Um, so the goal with, these, with this technology now and we have some new products coming out is to reduce that shark bite off. And in our trials that we did in Western Australia um, last December, Um, were really successful even more so than I had had hoped for and versus what the average had been for the number of fish lost to bite off over the previous year we were able to reduce that number by 85 percent in the trials that we did. And this is in like one of the sharkiest areas on the planet. I mean, you can, we, we have these cool line cameras that fishermen are probably aware of who are listening that are um, called Spydros or um, there's, there's a few different brands. And they go on the line and you can actually record what's going on down at the, at the hook when the, um, when the fish comes to, to take it, take the bait and you can see if there's a shark there if there is a a shark that comes and bites the fish off right away like what what's the fish behavior i mean other than other than the shark side they're just super interesting cameras um to be able to to access this whole world where you don't ever get to see that moment you know you're standing on the boat with your rod in your hand you're like okay what's really going on uh down there when the when the fish bites it um so we got some many days in a row of getting to actually See every interaction that any animal had with that bait while it was down there on the on the hook at various various depths various reefs out in in western northwestern Australia and you know these the fish come up they bite it, and then you're reeling it in, and then the sharks come in full speed i mean we're talking like twenty plus miles an hour they get within like six to three to six feet of it, and then boom they turn off and they almost look like they got like slapped by something. It's, um, it's really wild. And it reaffirmed what we've observed with the deterrent device for people, which is that, contrary to what you would think, when the shark's in its most active high aggression hunting phase is when that, mm-hmm. when that sensory organ, that electromagnetic sense is kicked in at its highest level and it's at its most sensitive to the device. So we huh. actually see like the biggest deterrent reactions when the sharks are moving at the highest speed and they're coming in with the, the greatest aggression. And we saw that time and time again when using the fishing products. Um, and really interestingly, what was observed was that once sh- the sh- we were fishing in a certain area and the shark came after a fish one time and it followed it up for a while, but then didn't get it that, rather than come at it harder the second time it was like it determined that the amount of energy that it had to expend to get that food source in battle whatever that sensation was wasn't worth the reward interest and so they actually kind of stopped fighting it uh, even if in the couple of times that we did lose a fish to a shark while the device was on which of course is still going to happen sometimes like it's never going to be a hundred percent just like just like shark vans is never going to be a hundred percent in all situations when we would lose a fish we would then not lose more after that it was almost like wow like i worked so the shark was thinking wow like i worked so hard to get this that it wasn't worth it. So now when this thing comes back down here, I'm just going to leave it alone.
0: Interesting. And so you're really controlling the shark's behavior to a degree. I mean, almost entirely, right?
1: It was, uh, I mean, I don't know if you could say almost entirely because they're already so influenced by the boat uh, Mm. because they follow the, they figured out how to follow the boats. Um, (laughs) They listened to the depth sounder they know where which boats are fishing and which ones aren't because the depth sounders are the ones that are fishing, so they follow those ones. Um right. They it's a they're like dogs, you know, like like coyotes yeah. or 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 Scavengers. wild dogs, yeah. And so they know how to find the easy meal, and yeah, they they follow the boats. So um,
0: pretty lazy, despite popular belief. Yeah, no,
1: they're they're like the laziest. They especially great whites are like so lazy until they don't have to be. Otherwise, they're just like so slow and and mellow
0: right right and it's funny you say that because um i don't know if you're familiar with ethan estes he's over by you he's in uh santa cruz and uh he's an artist and he was talking about we talked a little bit about sharks and he he described a great white as docile in the sense that you know it's just that like it's a pretty lazy just kind of kind of investigate things but obviously once provoked or in a state where it's hungry right it's gonna change its tune pretty quick but you know you like you just said they're just pretty lazy kind of hanging out swimming around not doing much
1: yeah they're funny like that I mean you you think when you finally get around them that they're gonna be this ferocious thing moving around at high speeds or something like that because you you see all the all the videos and that's all that they they show you on the shows is like the moments when they're when they're doing something interesting and exciting. But most of the time those things are moving like so slowly and they're just right. They're just kind of hanging out. Uh, it's kind of like the lion on the prairie or on, on, like the lion on the savannah. It's like, it's just going to, it knows it's the king. So it's just going to lay around and be lazy all day and, and sleep and walk around like, yeah, like you can't touch me because, you know, nothing. Nothing can really harm it because he's the king and the great white. It's kind of the same, it's right? Until they decide that they want you, they're just gonna, yeah. they're just gonna hang out.
0: Meanwhile, the tuna is swimming at it like a million miles an hour and is a little ball of muscle through the water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Never stops. So,
0: yeah, no kidding. Have so, you ever seen a great white? I have never seen one in in person. No, I've seen tiger sharks. Um, there's a tiger shark in Kona called Laverne. And uh, she lived. She's lived outside of uh, Honolulu Harbor for so long they actually named a sports bar after her, <laughs> um, called Laverne's. And I got. I was fortunate to 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 see her. I did not go swimming with her. Those are you such
1: know. gorgeous animals, huh?
0: Oh my god, they're incredible, and they're huge. So I mean, big.
1: I'll just, never forget the first time I saw one of those things.
0: Just like scary big. You're like, wow, that thing's moving and it's and it has a lot of teeth
1: (laughs) yeah how big is that one like 15 feet or something
0: yeah she was like 15 or 16 feet and one night i was coming off of the boat and my sunglasses slipped off my head and i was like oh man those are a really nice pair of sunglasses (laughs) and my only pair and uh so i got one of our manta lights and i threw it on the dock and i i jumped in but i i probably spent about 10 seconds under the water because i was getting the hell out of there as soon as i got them Because knowing that Laverne, you know, lurks around in the depths. Mm -hmm. So I I grab my glasses and I look up and the light can only go so far, right? So you just see it just turn to like this black, ink blackness at night. Like, man, I really hope she doesn't come by right now. (laughs) But uh, tiger sharks, bull sharks, um, you know, blue sharks have gone blue shark for, you know, fishing for blue shark, you know, catch and release uh some mako but yeah it's pretty much never never a white shark
1: yeah it just shows you how rare they are i mean you've been in around the ocean on boats for so many years doing what you do and for you to not see one it just shows you that there's really just the, the chances of encountering one really are are so slim i've only encountered one once when i wasn't trying to find one from a on a, re, on a research <laughs> the <best trip>. time <laughs> yeah in south africa of course like the stereotypical yeah. place where you would see one um, I was surfing with my brother uh, in a spot outside of Cape Town that's known to have sharks, and there's I think there's been like one fatality or two fatalities at this mm-hmm. at this spot, and saw a big fin pop up, and uh, uh, you know when you see the when you see the tail fin and the dorsal fin at the same time, that's when yeah. that's when you know. <laughs> so right, nah, that's a white you're shark. You're like <laughs> That is not a dolphin. No, um, that is not a dolphin and uh, the waves were so good on this particular day and I had you know I had the, the sharpens on actually had the, the leash on that we um, that we used to make currently discontinued but it'll be back but I had the leash on and I went into the shallows and just kind of watched it for a minute and it popped mm-hmm. up one more time and then I didn't see it again after that and I waited like five minutes and then I went back out, and if I hadn't have had the device, I I can't say I would have done that.
0: Right. Well, that's when you know you have faith in your own product, right? When you're putting your life on the line to some degree, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had an, you know, I, I haven't deterred a shark with it while I've been in the water that I'm aware of. Although I've surfed at night in some different super sharky spots, and um, probably been very close to them. And who knows? But um, yeah but I've obviously seen it in action and then I've I've had enough people write in that have deterred great whites with them and tiger sharks and bull sharks and all sorts of of different species uh, who have shared those stories and you know it's they're super compelling and when I you know I have I have all I have all the evidence in my brain of the of the yes and the no so right I and I always go you know I and um you know i know that i'm safer with it than without it so uh, yeah went back out there and enjoyed the rest of the session and then came in and had another had a story
0: yeah no kidding and in the amount of stories that you have with people you know encountering sharks you know like the navy seal guy I, and you, i think was that the one that there there was a video Because I saw a video of a guy, a spear fisherman, with the band on. Hmm. And all of a sudden, was that the same one you were talking about? That was a different
1: one. Um, This guy didn't have a video of that. I wish that he'd had a video of it. That would have been pretty pretty awesome. Um, There was a guy in um, Mayotte, which is an island off the coast of Madagascar. Um, Like, pretty near there. It's sort of near Mauritius. Um, And he was spear fishing with the device, um, and then instead of using it to repel sharks from him, he actually took it off and slid it down his line after he speared a fish to stop the sharks from getting the fish that he had speared. Oh,
0: that's a really smart way to do that. And
1: that's, huh. that's on video on the website. You can watch that, and that's definitely some of the most compelling evidence that we have of, of just a, you know a random user out in the wild seeing some pretty incredible results from it. Uh, right. so the sharks, you know, the f- device gets down to the fish and the sharks had been attacking it and then boom, they literally all just take off and then he just leaves it there for a few minutes and they don't, they don't come and bite it again and then he pulls up, takes the device off and sends it back down and then they come in and boom, they finish it off.
0: Huh. That's really cool. Actually. That's like a real world scenario right there that was caught on, uh, caught on tape. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So, that so was, what do you that was what do you cool kind one. of
0: see? Because you said you're just you just you're bringing back a new product, and then obviously with the the uh the fishery stuff that we spoke about, what other products do you see coming down the the pipe right now in terms of you know what's what's for the future of shark bands?
1: Yeah, I mean the fishing aspect of it for us is the biggest is the future because that's where we can make the biggest impact on both preserving sharks and preserving fish and just stoking people out so it's like it's just win-win-win all around right like we can yeah. put more money in fishermen's pockets while at the same time maintaining abundant fisheries and uh then we can make more money by selling more f- fishing products and then we can donate more of that back to conservation and so the whole cycle if those products can be as effective as we've seen in in the trials that um that we could that we could wish for so for me like i get super excited about that project and that's where i'm i'm putting a ton of my time and energy into these days
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it really is a win all around because i mean you're you get to help everyone right at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I always, I like to ask a few questions and if, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show yet, but, um, you said that you work with your dad, right? He's a partner of yours. Mm -hmm. How has he kind of influenced you to keep going, you know, and to be, always on the move, like always being innovative and creating new products. And cause you said you first started in 2015. So this is, you know, we're coming up on five years now. So what is, you know, what's that kind of look like?
1: Well, um, honestly, the way that my dad influences me the most to, to keep going is because he gave me all the opportunities to have an amazing life and to, to educate me on how to become a, uh, a self-reliant entrepreneurial minded person who has the the foundation to be able to create this business and so for me it's about giving back by becoming more successful and providing return for him so he can enjoy his life because he made so many sacrifices for me now my business partner davis him and him and I, he's kind of like the number two guy. Him and I work work together on everything as well as our brand manager, Tim, and the three of us, you know, we're pushing each other on a daily basis to continue to innovate, continue to stay relevant, and continue to, to push and, and create. And that's like we're all young guys, you know, we're all in our thirties. So we're, right. you know, we're the, the guys who have Eager. the ambition that are hungry, that are pushing, you know, my dad's 69. So he's, he's on his, his way out into the golden years, you know, he's, right. he's doing Put that the pasture <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, let the young guys do it. So for, that's for right. us, it's about, um, you know, paving our own way, making, leaving our own mark and trying to do good while we're doing that. And, um, that's, that's what it's all about, you know. Yeah, and
0: that's why I love the, you know, your stories so much is because, you know, throughout it, you're really just doing a good thing, you know, and, and I'm sure the ocean means a lot to you as a person. So do you have any moments where, you know, you're maybe on your surfboard or, you know, the research, it panned out and you weren't expecting it and you were like, man, this is, this is why I'm doing that. And it, why, why do you think, you know, you started shark bands and, and what does really the ocean mean to you in general?
1: Yeah, good question, man. I mean, wow. Um, going going deep. Yeah, there's <laughs> there are there's been so many moments where I'll get a message from somebody and I'll, and I'll just be like, damn, man, like this is what it's all about right now. This is it. Um, and it goes back to those same moments that I talked about earlier, where out of nowhere we'll get a testimonial from somebody who's written in, sharing some incredible story of deterring a shark. Or experiencing the ocean in a way that they hadn't been able to before because they overcame some fear, um, and you know I just got one last week where a guy. Um, let's see which one was this. He he was out. Actually no, better. I got one from this from a woman who's actually one of our retailers, and she was one of the first people who supported us in in Kona actually. Uh, oh no way. And we're about. Um,
0: I I want to say it's P three is the name of the store. Does that sound familiar? P three, can't say it sounds familiar. There's a lot of sh- there's a lot of stores and shops in Kona. Yeah, I'll pull it up. It's
1: like a, it's a store for like triathlon related stuff. Okay, um, all right. And she, so she has a lot of swimmers. So she's a big swimmer herself. Um, and she support one of the early people who supported us from the beginning that believed in the in the technology. And she was out with friends swimming in the water at uh probably one of the (laughs) spots that you've been to before and they were like getting exercise out there to all together in a group and a big tiger shark came right up to them they thought it was a log coming from a distance and then as they got closer (laughs) there it was boom it was this big tiger shark and all of a sudden when it got within like six feet of her it did this big whip around and just took off 180 degrees in the other direction which is like the consistent reaction that you see when sharks encounter the the field from this unexpectedly they just do this quick like jerk and then they take off in the other direction and you know she comes in and writes this thing she's like i believe this from the beginning and now like this thing just now i got proof (laughs) no like just just save me and my girlfriends potentially like i'm so stoked like i'm telling everybody and you know, you, you get something like that and it's like, wow, like we made something that actually made it a difference in somebody's life that, you know, that was a, a real thing. And uh, that's a, just a, a super cool feeling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in, some, in a lot of ways I can, uh, you know, I can, um, you know, relate you know i've gotten messages about just making this podcast and to be honest with you nathan i didn't even think anyone would listen so and to have those messages come in it's a really good feeling right oh yeah dude i mean that... what
1: you do is so amazing i mean i've like I, i've said that the sea tow guys, the vessel assist guys, they're like the raddest humans that you'll ever meet. Everyone's like so humble. And when they show up, they're like way more stoked than you expect them to be. Because most people have to come and help you in a situation like a, like tow truck drivers don't generally show up stoked to tow your car Not away. I mean. They're pissed off. But for some reason, every sea tow and vessel assist person that I've encountered, they always come up stoked. They're always smiling they always and they make you feel so much better and you're so relieved to see them and you get to you know you get to experience that contagious energy from somebody knowing that as soon as you show up like everything's gonna be all right
0: (laughs) it's so funny i had a guy who i had to tow in from block island which is from where i was it was about 22 25 ish miles right but from the nearest port, it's only about 13. So if you take the Block Island Ferry to... Well, you've been to Rhode Island. So if you yeah. take the Block Island Ferry to Block Island, it's about 13 miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I go out there and he he smashes prop on a rock. And he's at his dock. So I have to take him out. And he's I call him and he's like, So, uh, Zach, how, how long do you think this is going to take? And I'm like, well, given the sea state and everything, it's probably going to be about you know seven hours. And he's like... Really? Seven hours? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it's going to be a party. He's like, are you going to be towing us the whole way? I'm like, hell, yeah, I'm going to be towing you the whole way. It's going to be awesome. Let's go do it. <laughs> and then, you know what? At the end of the day, was it really long and kind of boring at times? Absolutely. But at the, se- at the same time, like for him to get home safe, it was just, you know, it, it was a big relief, not in- not only for him, but also for me. So it- it- I appreciate that. It's a lot of it's a fun job, too. You know, you get to see a lot of weird A lot of weird stuff and have a lot of cool stories, you know, simultaneously.
1: Yeah, you spend enough time on the ocean, you will have stories. That is a certainty.
0: Yeah, and what I love about it is having, when you spend a lot of time on the water, whether it's what you're doing, what I'm doing, there is a certain group of people that do that, and there's people that don't. But it's funny how people that are all on the ocean, we can all relate in some way. Right. Because we have the ocean. But the people that don't really understand it or don't go to the beach or don't go on the boats and they, they're always questioned, you know, they always question, well, what's out there? Right. They always want to ask you, look, what do you do or what is a shark ban or, or how how are sharks, you know, relating to someone that's living in Arkansas? And to be able to answer those questions and be a part of that community, the ocean community, I think it's something really special that, you know, only we have, right? And I'm sure there's other communities out there like the whitewater rafting community in Colorado or... Yeah, like you know, the mountain climbing
1: community. community yeah, and- right.
0: But it's like that thing, right? That's something that we're all a part of. Like, we all love the ocean. Like, hoorah, like, let's go do this. And it's just something cool to be a part of. I'm sure you can kind of relate to that.
1: Yeah, like any anything that we become proficient at especially if it's relating to the environment the environment in the natural world then we kind of have the ability to become stewards of it and educator Mm -hmm. educators about it and you know that's that's like the beauty of the world right it's like that's why people have kids because they hit a point that they're like oh like I've gained enough wisdom like I feel like I need to start passing this down to somebody else
0: right absolutely absolutely I think that sums it up great is being a steward and whatever that might be like whatever craft you have whether it's woodworking or you know being on the ocean or you know forestry whatever it is you know being that person that every day goes back and perfects their craft to some degree and then at the end of the day becomes a steward for it you know i think that's a great way to great way to sum it up so well um you know nathan we're coming up on 84 minutes, wow. which is right. incredible because it didn't feel like look it. Look at us go. Um, yeah, look at us go. So where can people find out about shark bands and you know learn all, all about you, the company, get involved, buy a shark band? How can they do it?
1: Yeah, if you want to dive more into the science and watch the videos and see the tests and read the testimonials, you can go to sharkbands.com and we've got the science page, we've got the media page, and we've got the reviews page, and you can read and and learn all about the the research and like how this whole technology was discovered and it came to be, all the way up to the embodiment of it in Shark Bands and listening to, to real stories from Real people who have gone out and deterred sharks with it.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, Nathan, real pleasure to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, can't wait to continue talking to you and, you know, just keep this door open. So uh, thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for the work you're doing out there with uh, CTO and and everything else that you've d- done in your career to get to this point. Um, you know, yeah, man.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Next time I'm out in Rhode Island, I will definitely give you a ring, man.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, it was just funny. Uh, Newport Folk Fest was supposed to be last weekend, right?
1: Yep, we would have been there. Uh, Could have done the interview in person right there and then then headed (laughs) over to the fort. But you know what? Maybe we'll have round two next year because I will be there.
0: Sounds good. An update show, if you will. Indeed. Right on. All right, Nathan. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, be safe out there.
1: Same to you, Zach. Thanks, man.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Along the Keel. I had a pleasure speaking with Nathan today, and I'm just glad you guys could tag along and listen to the conversation. So like I said, we have some new things that have come to Along the Keel. As you know, it was once beyond the buoy. We are now Along the Keel. So if you are an original listener to the podcast, I just want to thank you for sticking around and, and keeping your support up. But we also have a new newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter where we feature people who are making waves that may not have a, a brand or a company or a business yet, but they're on their way and they're just out there doing their thing on the ocean or outdoors. We're also going to start adding a, little, a few more podcasts to the mix, um, maybe not as ocean-based, but uh, they're going to have some you know outdoor influence as always. So let me know what you think about that, or maybe we should just stick around for the ocean. But you know, I, think, uh, I think there's a lot out there, a lot of cool, interesting people that we need to talk to and, and, and get involved, and we have many more episodes to come. So on the next episode of Along the Keel, we're speaking with Bo Perry of Blue Evolution, where he has found a way to grow kelp and other seaweeds around the world and make it into tasty, innovative products for us to consume. So stick around for that episode, episode number 33 of Along the Keel. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. You can head on over to our website to learn more about Nathan Garrison and Shark Bands. Also, give him a like, subscribe, and a follow on all social media. And sign up for our newsletter. It's on our website. As soon as you type in alongthekeel.com, there's a big pop-up. You can log in, get more amazing content, or you can head on over to the newsletter side of the website up on the top bar and sign up that way. So thank you again, and have a great day. But before I go, remember, work hard. Do good and be incredible, and we'll catch you on the next episode.